0: You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 10. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 10, and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues.
1: He answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? What is the law saying? And they said, well, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Now, Moses allowed us to do this. And the, the stipulation in the law in Deuteronomy 24 said, "'When a man hath taken a wife and married her, "'and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, "'because he hath found some uncleanness.'" Well don't even know what that is. It's not identified. "'He hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement, she's getting a reputation here, and give it into her hand and sendeth her out of his house, Or if the latter husband died, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. Thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So the prohibition was not you can't divorce your wife. It was you can divorce your wife and your wife is free to remarry. What was prohibited is she's not allowed to come back after she's been with another man to her first husband again. So they say to Jesus, well, Moses said, we're allowed. We're allowed to do that. We're allowed to divorce our wives. We're allowed to put them away. And Jesus answered and said to them, well, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, it was because of the hardness of your heart. Let me say something. That's where it always starts, the hardness of the heart. Um, I'm convinced that marriage problems are lordship problems. I felt that way with my first wife, and I'm still married to her. (laughs) And those of you who've been married, look, you know, there are days that come when your spouse can hurt your feelings. They can offend you. Sometimes they know they're stepping on a landmine and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you think, man, they really know how to push my buttons. And you can begin to store that up in your heart. And you can begin to let your heart become hard. But if you get alone with Jesus Christ, he's not gonna let that happen. He's gonna say you need to forgive. You need to make peace. You sinned against me continually, and I came and laid down my life for you. Husbands, you love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That's the incarnation and the crucifixion. He entered into our world, and he laid down his life there. Husbands, it'll keep you busy for the rest of your life. Enter into her world and die there. (laughs) It's a different world. It has a different code. (laughs) Different rules in some ways. You just have to understand and break the code and you'll be okay, but you have to enter in there. Or wives can become bitter. And there can be a host of reasons. It can be an abusive past where we've never really learned to deal with with hurt feelings the proper way, in a biblical way. I mean, when you marry someone, it's the largest commitment you make since you gave your life to Jesus Christ. It is more sacred than the parent-child relationship. And sadly, some parents don't realize that. And, and at the point when kids move out of the house, again, the divorce rate soars at that point in time. Because two adults look at each other and think, we don't really know each other. We just spent our whole life raising kids. And uh, let that be more important than our marriage. Hardness of heart always gets to that place. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of the hardness of your hearts. We're under the new covenant. We have the spirit of Christ in our hearts. Forgiveness. Tenderness. Tenderness the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith. Does that mean that there's no divorce in the church? No, it doesn't mean that. I know that. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. The Bible doesn't say that either. But there's a standard. No husband in this church in the church of Jesus Christ, will ever love his wife the way Christ loved the church. You'll never do it. But that doesn't lower the standard. Wives, you can read your part. I don't want to be in trouble with anybody. To submit yourself unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And if you both grow closer to him, you grow closer to one another. Easy, no. It's a lifelong process. Lifelong process. Jesus is answering them as they seek to trap him in these things. Moses said we could divorce our wives. Yeah, he did. Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. And the giving of the bill of divorcement was to protect the wife because the husband's heart was so hard. It was to protect her. But from the beginning, please notice that. No evolution here. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Boy, we've lost track of that somehow, haven't we? I haven't. Somebody has. It's unbelievable. From the beginning of creation, the creation of God, he made them male and female. If he hadn't, none of us would be here. He made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. To leave behind. Separation. The first principle is severance. Doesn't mean you move to another state. That's not what it's saying. But the idea is, in regards to priorities, you leave mother and father, and now the relationship with your wife becomes the most sacred of human relationships. This reason shall a man leave his mother or father cleave is to be glued glued to his wife the twain shall no boor, though they shall be one flesh they are no more two but one what therefore god hath joined together let no man put asunder and in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter, because in Matthew, they say, well, Lord, if that's the case, it's better not to, get, if you've got to stay with the same woman your whole life, it's better not to get married. He said unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife, i.e., for the purpose to marry another, committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, let's understand his context. What he's saying is this. Deuteronomy said Moses had given them the permission to divorce as long as they gave their wife a bill of divorcement. Then that wife could go and marry somebody else. Jesus is saying that's not the way it was from the beginning. The problem that was forbidden in the law was she wasn't allowed to come back to the first husband because, because you know, again, because with the Lord a day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. If I divorce my wife at one o'clock in the afternoon, she marries somebody else at two o'clock and sleeps with him, he dies and she comes back to me at three, or she divorces him and comes back to me at three, and it's all on paper. Is that all legal? No, she went out and had an affair and came back. Doesn't matter if that takes a day, if it takes a year, if it takes 10 years, God says that's the abomination he can't endorse. She can't go out and be with somebody else and then come back to her original husband. God can't put his endorsement on that because that's adultery. That's what the law, forbid. Jesus goes back to the original intention and says, no, no, the problem is the second partner. When you divorce your spouse without a cause, you're causing them to commit adultery when they marry the next person, not when they try to come back to you again. So what he's saying here is, and and Matthew's the one who gives us a longer rendition, except for sexual sin, we don't have the right to divorce. God expects us to reconcile and to work things out And, of course, verse 13 takes us usually to the the victims in a situation like this. And they brought the young children to him. Now, this is the parents bringing the children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those, his disciples rebuked the parents that brought them, So, Jesus is there finishing this teaching on marriage, and here comes, no doubt, moms, dads, bringing their small children to Jesus, that Jesus might touch them and pronounce a benediction about blessing upon them. And the disciples are rebuking the parents, because in that culture, no proper rabbi had the time to minister to small children. Of course, they didn't understand that, so they're rebuking those that are bringing them. But when Jesus saw it, look in verse 14, he was much displeased. That Greek phrase is, he had indignation, and it's the only time in the Gospels we have that word from Jesus toward his own disciples. The only time he had indignation towards his own disciples is when they tried to keep the children from coming to him. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He said to them, allow, suffer, the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God here he is manifest in the flesh waited through the ages for the incarnation and now he's taking these children he's looking and uh, the disciples are trying to forbid them he turns around angry with indignation and says let them come don't forbid them suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. By the way, you know, he still is indignant today towards anyone who would try to keep, you know, we we see it in our families sometimes. And sadly, when there is divorce, usually one of the parents, usually there's a guilty and innocent party to some degree, and often we'll see one parent wanting to continue to fellowship, They'll be in for counseling. They want to bring their children to Sunday school on Sunday. And we'll have the other partner fighting for custody, saying, you can't take those kids to church anymore. I want none of that Jesus stuff. And you you have one trying to forbid the kids from coming to Jesus. And he's indignant about that. He has indignation. And he says, suffer them to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, truly... Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It doesn't say in a childish way. It says in a childlike way. Look, you have kids, you've raised kids, I've raised kids, I have grandkids now. Uh, Children don't strive for position. These guys are arguing over who's gonna be the greatest. They, They understand the position you're in. They're not worried about whether they're worthy. Dad, are you gonna buy milk again next week? You know, we misbehaved this week, I crayoned on the wall. What if he stops feeding me, you know? What if he comes home and tells me to pack a suitcase and change my last name, and he throws me out on the front lawn, you know? What if he doesn't pay the gas bill this month? No, they're, they're users and abusers, and they take advantage of everything you offer them, and they don't have to earn or feel worthy of any of it. They're children, they just, accept the fact that they're cared for, that there's someone else with a greater measure of responsibility that cares for them. You know, and, and it's interesting, raising kids, I, I remember my, my own, you know, because um, we had a 10-year spread between the, the kids and, um, you know, the little ones, you know, will still come, you know, they would come and they'd need to be hugged. They need daddy love. We need some daddy love oh honey you need some daddy love yeah and you hug them and sit and talk with them you know and they're happy i don't know why you know they they hurt their hand and they think when you kiss it the pain really goes away oh how does that feel better yeah and it doesn't you know i don't know what they think you know and just you know um electrical storm they think if they come to your bed the lightning's not going to hit there you're thinking I'm glad the kids are here, God would never strike my bed with little kids in it. <laughs> you know, they have, and, and of course, then you have, you know, if my, my 16-year-old, I had a six-year-old and a six-year-old, 16-year-old at the same time, she didn't want me grabbing her around here and saying, let me give you some daddy love, she'd be, dad, get out of here, I'd be embarrassing her in front of her friends, which I really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> But it's interesting that the older one knew my commitment to a greater degree because she had a part-time job and she understood at that age the commitment that was made to care for them and to put them in a Christian school and to to give them everything they needed more than the little one who just needed. You know, sometimes I think when we're growing in Christ, we're like that. We say, I need some daddy love. I need goosebumps. I need my hair to stand up. I need some, you know, I need to feel, you know, Lord, your presence. You need to do those things to let me know you're close. And somehow I think as we mature, he condescends to give us less of that because we understand more and more the price he's really paid and the love that he really extends to us. And to receive those things as his children in simplicity, not ever earning them, not ever deserving them, not being worthy of them. I mean, isn't that the way we enter the kingdom? You know, we come and realize he's done it all. We can't add one bit to it. We can never earn it, we can never deserve it. The Bible, you know, the last chapter, he who thirsts, let him come and drink of the water of life freely, undeservedly, the Greek. Let him come and drink undeserving. Jesus here says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms. Again, imagine his arms around them. "'and put his hands on them, and he blessed them. "'And when he was going forth into the way, "'there came one running, and kneeled to him, "'and asked him, Good master, what shall I do "'that I may inherit eternal life?' "'This is the rich young ruler. "'Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good?' "'There's none good but God.' "'What do you mean good? "'Is that relatively good?' Do you think I'm kind of a relatively good rabbi? Or do you think I'm good as compared to other rabbis? Or do you think I'm absolutely good? Well, there's only one that's good. And it was a common saying in the day, there's none good but God. And he says that to the man, there isn't any good but God. So either I'm not good or I'm God. But you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal do not bear false witness, defraud not, and then he goes back to the first table of the law for the, the, the fourth commandment, honor thy mother and thy father. He leaves off the earlier ones that deal with our relationship with God and the last one, the tenth commandment that says, thou shalt not covet, and he deals with the commandments that deal with our relationship with our fellow man. Don't steal, don't commit murder, honor your mother, father, so forth. And this guy's gonna say, all of these have I kept from my youth up. Jesus doesn't say the first commandment, I'm the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, because this guy has one, his possession, his wealth. Jesus doesn't say the last one, thou shalt not covet, because this guy has that problem. He goes away sad. He doesn't wanna leave go of his great possession. Jesus first clears up the center and the guy says, hey, I've done all of those things. And Jesus looks at him and says, and loves him. He says in verse 20, look, master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus beholding him, it means to look down into, Jesus beholding him, loved him. Isn't that beautiful? And said to him, one thing thou lackest. And again, if I'm in this conversation, the Lord says 3,274 things thou lackest. That's quite a statement, one thing thou lackest, isn't it? One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus says one thing you lack. You've been all of the the laws dealing with your fellow man. You've kept them. What about the one dealing with God? What is your God? What idolatry is in your life? Do this. This is one thing you lack." Sell everything you have. You say you've never defrauded your brother, you you, you haven't stolen, you care about your fellow man, really? Sell everything you have. Give that money to the poor. Come, take up your cross and follow me. Now again, look, Jesus is dealing with the heart. For everybody in this room, one thing remains the same. That's come, take up your cross and follow me. That's universal. Go sell everything you have is incidental. It depends on the person. Jesus may say to you, go and do this, and come and follow me. Because you don't have the problem this guy has. He may say, go and do this thing. Go and get rid of this in your life. Go and get rid of that in your life. Go and straighten this out, and come and follow me. To this man, he said, go and sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor, and then come, take up your cross, and follow me. And it says, the man went away sad. And he was grieved because he had great possession. Jesus said, go sell everything you have. Come and follow me and you'll have great treasure in heaven. Now that's hard, isn't it? When the Lord tells us, lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth, where moth and rust corrode and thieves break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And the Bible is always beckoning you and it is always beckoning me to leave go of the tangible that we can see right now and trade it for that which is invisible. That's a huge trade. We almost have to do that in childlike faith, don't we? Let go of this because eternity is worth more. Put this aside come and follow me, great is your reward in heaven. That's always the challenge to us, living in light of eternity, and he puts it out to this rich young ruler. He loved him. He loved him. He said one thing, do this. You'll have great treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, follow me. He goes away sad, very grieved, does he at some point after this give everything away and come and follow Christ? Maybe. We're not given that information in Scripture. That's speculation. People like to speculate because they think, well, maybe I'll just hold on to what I have a little longer and then I'll let go because I bet that's what that guy did. Well, th- that's a bad gamble. We're not given that information. The challenge is that right now one world has to be more important than another, because the truth is all of those things still leave us empty. And when we come to that place, and if the Lord tarries, we all will, where we cross from this world to the next, that's part of our vocation. The Bible tells us to walk worthy of the vocation that God has called us to. An integral part of that vocation is stepping to the next world. When we're there, ready to breathe our last, None of those other things have any weight at all. No weight at all. The only thing that matters is Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I've served you because you've saved me. You've washed me in your blood. I gave my life for you, Lord. Come and meet me now. Take me across. Lead me through the veil. And he does, and he will. That's who he is. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, not send for you,
0: receive you unto myself. That concludes our teaching time here on Straight From The Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 10 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on listen to current messages, then select straight from the heart and click on the study with today's date. Today's message number is SPM 542. That's SPM 542. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 10 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.